First Colleyville. It's good to see you. Uh, it's good to see those of you who are joining us online as well, kind of. Uh, we can kind of see you. Um, my name is Johnny Farr. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm over six through college, and uh, I'm really excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, to no surprise, I bet many of you have been on social media just a little bit more than you have been maybe in the last three months or so. Um, I mean, fighting boredom, fighting things to do, looking for uh, engagement with people. What a great, what a great opportunity for me. I love getting to catch up with former students and, and family members and things like that. But I bet that in your scrolling, your social media scrolling, you have come across those IQ tests before. You know, the ones that I'm talking about, they usually hook you with the phrase, 99% of people will get this wrong. And they got you because who doesn't want to be that 1%? I want to be that 1%. There, some of them are image-based like this of, you know, which cup will be, get filled up first. Some of them are, are math problems, and I just straight up scroll on through those. But the other day, I took the bait, and I took one of those IQ tests. And boy, howdy, was I humbled. Um, and so I screenshot a couple of them uh, just so I could ask Alicia, my wife, and uh, I want to ask a few of you this morning as well to see if we have any one percenters out there, any one percenters watching online. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions, and uh, if you get these right, then you are considered a genius. Here we go. Question one. If you have three apples and four oranges in one hand, and four apples and three oranges in another hand, what do you have? Give you some time to think about it. Think about it. Here's the answer. Large hands. I know. I'm sorry. You don't like me right now, and it's only going to get worse. Here we go. Number two, uh, if you throw a red stone into a blue sea, what will it become? Thinking about it? You got your answer? Wet. That's what it will become. Yeah. So obviously, uh, this doesn't actually measure your intelligence, but it's fun. It's fun nonetheless. And over the past several weeks, we as a church have been going through this series that we've entitled Under the Sun, which is kind of Solomon's tagline throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is considered one of the wisdom literatures in the Old Testament. And so there's a lot that we can glean and gain from it. And Solomon, next to Jesus, was the wisest man who ever lived. And so there is no better man outside of Jesus than who we can learn wisdom from. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, recounts this transaction between God and Solomon. Uh, right here, uh, it says this, The night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I might lead your people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for strength. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for influence. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask to be able to fly. 
That's what I would have asked for. He asks for wisdom and God gave it to him. And so here's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to open up God's word, Ecclesiastes 9, and help you understand what wisdom is and where it comes from. Because I believe that we are in a day and age where we need wise Christians now more than ever. And so I believe this series is so fitting for what's going on in our world, and, and I'm excited to, to see and hear what God is going to do in your life as well. And so let me be clear. Let me clear up a few things uh, before we jump in. Wisdom is not necessarily having a master's level degree. A master's level degree does not equate wisdom. Um, having an executive level job does not make you automatically wise. Uh, even having a high sense of self-awareness by, let's say, you know your, your Enneagram number and, and what that means and you know your wing and your family members and your friends and all that, that doesn't necessarily make you wise. Even having a high IQ, an intelligence quotient, doesn't make you wise. So what I want to show you this morning is it's not about having a high IQ it's about having a high GQ. Not this kind of GQ right here, even though that is a beautiful man and uh, he is most certainly wise. I'm talking about God quotient this morning. It's knowing who God is and doing what he says. That's what wisdom is. Knowing who God is and being obedient and doing what he says. Or to put it in first Colleyville terms, wisdom is knowing and following Jesus. And I want to give you four biblical GQ principles this morning that we're going to pull out of the section of Scripture that we're going to study, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And so look with me there in verse 13. Solomon says this, I also saw under the sun, there's that tagline, this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me now, when the wisest man on the face of the earth outside of Jesus says that he saw something that greatly impressed him, that should cause us to say, I want to know what that is. I need to know that as well. And then Solomon says this. He says, there was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. If you don't know what siege works are, Think of Lord of the Rings, think of Helm's Deep, think of these giant towers that people would construct uh, and they would push them up against castle walls uh, so they could overcome them and, and attack the city. Think giant catapults, think giant slingshots, these things that in that day and age would have been very intimidating and very uh, scary that would uh, compromise your safety. You felt safe behind the, these walls for so long and all of a sudden this small city has a huge king uh, coming after him. And so he saw this, and in that city, Solomon continues, says, Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But no one remembered that poor man. And so Solomon said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. 
Now, this is a, a fairly confusing section of Scripture. Historians, theologians have tried to equate this to an actual historical event, but Solomon doesn't really provide enough details for something like that to stand on solid ground. Whether or not this is a parable or an actual historical event uh, doesn't really matter because what Solomon is trying to do is he's trying to make a point, and I want to help you understand what that point is. April 13th, 1970. Uh, three astronauts were sitting on a Saturn V rocket, just like this. Uh, this is considered old school for what's going on in, in today's age with Elon Musk and, and SpaceX. This is an old school rocket. And just a year before uh, April 13th, uh, the United States had secured their victory of the space race against the Soviet Union. And so we're they were continuing exploration and doing some more scientific study and research. And the launch went very well. And these three astronauts are on their way to space. And uh, they're about ready to go to sleep. And uh, mission control uh, signaled to one of the astronauts to stir the oxygen tanks. And uh, the astronaut who did that came over the radio and said a phrase that I'm very sure you've heard before that originated at this very moment right here. Houston, we have a problem. What had happened was when that astronaut hit that button to stir those oxygen tanks, it, it was some faulty wiring triggered an explosion and one of the oxygen tanks blew up and the side of the spaceship blew up and punctured one of the other oxygen tanks on that spacecraft, which was a huge, huge problem. Hundreds of scientists and engineers at Mission Control all band together to solve not just one problem, but many problems. How are we going to get these three men home? Can they even make it home in their busted spacecraft? Are they going to have enough power to make it home? Should they go to the moon still, or should they turn around? Uh, and will they be able to breathe? Now, these hundreds of engineers and scientists uh, in Houston, they're, they're, they're so banding together to solve all of these problems. And in one lowly old back room was this man named Ed Smiley. And Ed wasn't an executive. Uh, he was just a problem solver. And he solved the problem of how these three astronauts were going to breathe. You're probably like, Johnny, I've heard this story before. I've watched Apollo 13 uh, with Tom Hanks. Uh, this is that story. This is a real story. This isn't just, just a movie. And Ed is in the back room solving this problem of how these astronauts are going to continue to breathe. And he MacGyvers this air filter just using the supplies that they've got there on the spacecraft, which included a dirty tube sock and a roll of duct tape. So yes duct tape can pretty much fix everything. And so why am I sharing this story? You've probably never heard of Ed Smiley before. That's the point. He saved lives. And what Solomon is getting at here in, in this first GQ principle is this. Wisdom is better than strength, but it may be forgotten and ignored. Wisdom is better than strength, but it may be forgotten and ignored. Let's continue reading. Verse 17, Solomon continues on. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of ruler 
of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Well, as we as a country are, are gearing up, getting into, you know, the political season, uh, discovering who the, the candidates are going to be and uh, what their issues are that they're going to stand for as our, our nation is kind of beginning to heat up, I can't not help but think of one of my favorite presidents ever, Theodore Roosevelt. He is a fascinating, fascinating man. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, first off, he was the manliest man we've, we've ever had as a president. Uh, argue with me all you want. Uh, he was a rough rider, and so he fought in the Spanish-American War in like the Calvary. Um, he was a jiu-jitsu black belt, which is kind of awesome. He volunteered, he wasn't assigned, he volunteered to lead infantry uh, in World War I. Uh, he was known for at least reading three books a day. His library was extensive. He knew multiple languages, read books in, in various, various languages. Uh, interesting guy. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was once preaching, uh, not preaching, even though he was a Sunday school uh, teacher. He was making a speech, and uh, he got shot in the middle of his speech. And so you would think that you get shot, you're done. Uh, you're going to walk off and go to the hospital Theodore Roosevelt was like, I'm going to continue. Uh, so standing up there before hundreds of folks, he actually pokes fun at the guy who shot him and continues on with his speech. Uh, awesome, right? Um, he was one of the first men who flew in the Wright Brothers planes. As wise and as awesome as he was, he's basically the, the Ron Swanson of all presidents. Um, Theodore Roosevelt got, the, got it half right. He had this saying that I'm sure you've heard of that says this, speak softly and carry a big stick. It's a famous phrase that, you know, you know is taglined on uh, different publications and things like that, but he got it half right compared to the word of God. Here's the second GQ principle that Solomon is telling us here in verse 17, speak softly and let God worry about the stick. In a day and age where the best news, quote unquote, is the loudest and the most argumentative, uh, when people have every platform available to rant all they want on their opinions and viewpoints, and uh, we, just, we just have to listen to it, we have to endure through it. In a day and age where people take, uh, they, they, they want to be right, they don't want to lose, uh, and they'll do anything they possibly can to uh, take vengeance onto themselves, uh, this truth is hard. This requires a lot of discipline to speak softly and to let God worry about the outcome. It's a tough one for us. So let me continue. Verse 18, chapter 9. Solomon continues to define wisdom for us. But one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What an interesting image Solomon is painting here as dead flies give perfume a bad smell. What does that mean for us today? Well, 10 years ago, um, 
I had just gotten married to my beautiful wife, Alicia, and uh, for those of you who are married, you know, if you can remember what that first month of being married was like as you're learning all of these, like, new quirks about your spouse that while you're dating, they hid from you, and uh, one of the quirks that I discovered in month one of being married is my wife has a really weird snack-like affinity. Her, the, the choices that she makes as far as what a good snack is are things that I'm like, no, thank you. I, I'll pass on that. So we're sitting there. We're watching a movie together. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was a Tom Hanks movie like Apollo 13 or something like that. And she's got, guess what it is? A jar of sweet jerkin pickles and a fork. And homegirl is just crunching and chomping away. And I'm, she's like, you want some sweet jerkins? I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, uh, there's many other things I'd rather eat right now. And so, but I love my wife and I love that she loves sweet jerkins. And so she's just crunching away. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, she starts screaming and gagging. And I'm like, what's going on? Apparently, she had just eaten the head off of a grasshopper. Just right off of a grasshopper. This, this thing, this, this little bugger, uh, made its way through all the inspections, all of, you know, all the filters, and there was a pickled grasshopper inside of this can, this jar of sweet jerkins, and she had just eaten the head right off of it. And so as loving of a husband I was, I just laughed at her. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Uh, she, uh, she was so offended uh, that she called the customer service number on the back of the jar of pickles and like made her case. They didn't believe her because they asked her to put this pickle inside of a Ziploc bag and mail it to Sweet Jerkins. They probably didn't believe her because I'm laughing in the background and they're like, this has to be a prank call. What's going on here? But not, maybe two weeks later, we get a, a big box in the mail. Um, and this box came straight from Mount Olive. It was their apology to my sweet wife, Alicia, for making her eat a grasshopper. And uh, not only did they give us those box of pickles right there, but a huge stack of like vouchers, like not just like four or five, I'm talking like 20 vouchers of free pickles. And so your boy went to the grocery store and cashed in on all of them. And one fail swoop, I instantly became a doomsday prepper. I was ready for anything. I had pickles that would last decades. We'd have friends come over to our house, like, yeah, get, get, grab something, whatever you want. Open the refrigerator and look at us like, what is going on here? But pickles weren't ruined for me. They certainly were for my wife. To this day, never touching pickles again. They were ruined, from, ruined for. And so what's the principle here? A little sin can ruin a whole lot of good. It's easier to make a stink than it is to create sweetness. All it takes is one sin, one statement, one fly to destroy much good. So I'm going to do a little experiment with you this morning. I'm going to list uh, some names of some men and women, and I want to try to guess what your next thought is, okay? Um, and so here we go. First name, Tiger Woods. Infidelity. That's what I think of. Lance Armstrong. 
steroids or blood doping? How about Bill Clinton? Monica. Jeffrey Epstein. I'll let you figure that one out. Aaron Hernandez. Murder. Let's go to the Bible. King David. Bathsheba. Peter. Denying Christ three times. All it takes is one sin to ruin a whole lot of good. And this is a scary and sobering truth because we all have flies circling our life, just waiting for the opportunity for us to say, I'm gonna let you land in my perfume. Flies like how tempting it is to find yourself on the wrong website would really, really damage a relationship with your spouse. Flies like the temptation of moving just a little bit of money from one account to the other to line your pockets. Flies like giving in to a, a flirtatious encounter with a coworker. Flies like disparaging someone's character just because they have more influence than you and you just can't handle that. Flies like lying cheating, stealing. These are all examples of flies that are just waiting to land in our life and ruin a whole lot of good. Ruin the good fragrance that we as followers of Jesus are called to have. Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes this clear to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. He says this, for we are to be the pleasing aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So let's land the plane with some practical next steps for you. How do you grow in your GQ, your God quotient? How do you become wiser? Three things for you. Number one, start with fear of the Lord. Start there. It's very clear to us. Proverbs 9, 10 through 11 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One who is understanding. This is a good kind of fear. We as a culture want to say, hey, don't, don't be afraid of anything, but we should be afraid of the King of Kings who is on his throne, who sees everything, who is both equally merciful and full of grace, but also a just God. And if you want wisdom, if you want a high GQ, start with fear of the Lord. That there's nothing you can hide from him. And what's amazing about that is the gospel says that there's nothing so bad that you could do that would make him love you any less. Second thing, ask God for it. That is wisdom. James the little half-brother of Jesus says this in James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives begrudgingly and sparingly, right? Is that what it says? No. It says, ask and God will give it generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I want to give you a sub point because I believe just like me and, and my family, uh, it's, we, we go from one season to the next really quickly. 
And I want to make the best possible decisions that are presented to me. I want to follow Jesus as closely as I possibly can. And sometimes that's not always easy. Sometimes there are circumstances that I don't know how to navigate through. And uh, when I fear the Lord and I ask God for it, it's great. But as a sub point here, I would even say, ask those godly men and women in your life that you respect to not only pray for you, but to help give you perspective. And so ask God for it, but also ask godly people for wisdom. And I've got, oh man, countless men and women that I look up to, uh, who I love spending time with, that I'll just run things by them and, and it gives me a greater sense of confidence. It also gives me a greater sense of knowing that there's someone who's praying over this decision that I just want God to be exalted in. And I, I don't want to make the right decision to just avoid conflict or, or just to avoid making the wrong move. I want to make the right decision to make God known and to exalt him. And so this is the second thing. Ask God for wisdom. Number three, look to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this. It is because of him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. So here's the last GQ principle. A relationship with Jesus is the source of all wisdom. If you don't know and follow Jesus, you cannot be wise. You may have a lot of facts, you may know a lot of things, you may have a high IQ, you may have a master's level degree, you may have an important job in your work, but you can't be wise. Wisdom begins with a relationship with Jesus. And after a lot of reflection and prayer and abiding and studying uh, his word, uh, one of the questions that I just kept going back to with Ecclesiastes 9 was, why does Solomon give us this account of this poor old wise man that saves this city? Why is that? And here's where I've landed. I think it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. I really think it is. Now, it's not a direct prophecy, but I think it's a fair analogy. It's what preachers that I look up to, like Charles Spurgeon, say is like all throughout the Bible. It's a river of blood, the Old Testament, that pools at the foot of the cross. What W.A. Criswell would say is a, a scarlet thread that is, is, is intertwined throughout every story in the Bible that's tied to the nail on the cross. And I think this is just another analogy that is uh, tipping its hat of the Savior, the King of the world, who is about to come. Jesus was as poor as anyone. He was homeless, destitute, totally dependent on God the Father to provide his daily bread. Jesus was also wiser than anyone. I mean, you study his word, you study the things that he said, and you can spend your whole lifetime trying to understand them. It's a source of joy as well. And it's by his wisdom Jesus delivered, hear me when I say this, the lost city of humanity against the devil's siege works. Humanity had this overpowering enemy coming up against it with these huge intimidating things that caused fear and, and uncertainty and these siege works that were like, I don't know if, if I can overcome this. But inside of this city lived this humble, 
but extremely wise man. Jesus delivered us all by himself. He too was not respected or revered. We see that as he hangs on the cross, naked, in between two criminals. He hung there. And why did he do it and how did he do it? Jesus saved our city by dying on the cross and then rising again. Why? Love. That's it. Motivated by love in complete obedience to his father. He died on the cross so you and I could have access to the king of kings because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Giving your life to Jesus in all his wisdom is the wisest thing you could ever do in your entire life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and I want to lead you in a time of prayer. Maybe you are just tired. You're trying to have an advantage over your, your colleagues and your coworkers. And you're just looking for what's right and you're looking for what is wise and best and you're trying to stay one step ahead and learn from, from people before you and you're just striking out every time. Is there a chance that in your pursuit of seeking wisdom that you don't have Christ in your life at all? And if that's you, in one very simple way, all you gotta do is simply say, God, I wanna turn from my sin and invite you into my life. It's so easy. God accepts you just as you are, even with all of the unwise things you've done in your past. So if that's you this morning, I'm gonna give you just a moment of silence to, to invite Jesus into your life. It's the wisest thing you could ever do in your entire life. Now, if you've been following Jesus for quite some time, but you find yourself in a circumstance where you just don't know where to go next, there's a, a, a fork in the road, so to speak. You want to make the best decision. May you be encouraged by Solomon's words, what wisdom is. Would you start with fear of the Lord? Would you then ask Jesus for it? And would you look to him? So I'm going to give you a moment to pray over the circumstances that are going on in your life and you just don't know what's the wisest thing to do. Would you do that? Would you just tell God that you fear him in a good and holy way? Would you ask him to give you wisdom? Well, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to come together and worship you. Would this not only add knowledge to our brains, but change our hearts as well. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray.